Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Tom. Janet couldn't be with us today. Handling the board for us today is traffic-snarled John Dunn. And answering the phones is Eileen. If you want to join our conversation, call us at 813-239-9663. And Eileen will get you through to us if you're nice to her. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. As we speak, Mayor Jane Castor is holding a news conference to announce her long-awaited Tampa Master Mobility Plan. As the Tampa Bay Times reported online yesterday, the plan sets big goals. Record low daily miles driven, zero roadway deaths, and life-altering injuries, commute times that are 15 minutes or less, and half of all commuters walking, biking, or taking transit. We will talk about that later in the show when Henry Queen, a reporter with Tampa Bay Business Journal who covers transportation, joins us. But first, we want to talk about transportation in Pinellas County with Whit Blanton, Executive Director of Forward Pinellas, a public agency responsible for countywide and regional planning, countywide land use plan, and setting priorities for transportation funding. Whit was hired in 2015 with the merger of the Pinellas County Metropolitan Planning Organization and Pinellas Planning Council, and he reports to a 13-member body of local elected officials. Wit, welcome to Wavemakers. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Uh, my sympathies for having to report to a 13-member body of elected officials, but <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be surviving quite well. It's about to be 19 if uh, the vote goes a certain way next week, so we'll, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, your agency has uh, recently completed a, uh, its own long-range transportation plan, uh, so, Whit, tell us, what does that plan look like? Sure. It's called the Advantage Pinellas Plan, and it's really meant to build upon the unique um, advantages and, and maybe some challenges, too, that we have in Pinellas County as Florida's most densely populated county. And we have a unique mix of communities across, you know, the, the county from Gulfport to Tarpon Springs. And because of our dense population, most people can satisfy a lot of their needs within, you know, a one to three mile drive, which can be substituted, you know, for walking, bicycling and, and transit. We haven't really organized ourselves that way, but we do have a land use pattern that I think is very conducive to uh, using different modes of travel than, than just driving everywhere. So the Advantage Pinellas Plan primarily emphasizes what we call investment corridors, which are our aging commercial roadways. Uh, think US-19, um, Roosevelt, East Bay, alternate US-19, 34th Street and St. Petersburg are examples. And we see these as investment corridors because they're places that need redeveloping. They have an aging commercial base. Um, they have a lot of surface parking that's underutilized, a lot of retail that's not utilized like it once was. And we see opportunities to build housing that's more affordable in these locations and then to serve it with high-frequency, limited-stop, express bus service. So we're not quite ready to march out on a rail platform just yet, but we think we can invest in some 
more frequent, faster bus service with limited stops that would get people across the county to their destinations more quickly. Now, Pinellas does have one uh, big advantage over Hillsborough, and you have a pretty well-functioning uh, transit agency, Pinellas Suncoast Transit Agency, um, with an actual uh, bus rapid transit system operating in St. Pete. How is that going? We are very pleased with the Sunrunner. Uh, it's carrying a pretty good ridership uh, about what the projections were. And that ridership is, it's a pretty mixed bag of people. Uh, it's people going to work, it's tourists, uh, it's uh, people who are uh, visiting breweries. I mean, it's, it's a range. And PFTA delivered that project under budget. And they're taking some of the um, leftover um, revenue from the federal and state funds to build a, an additional station downtown closer to the pier. And they're also adding some additional vehicles to the fleet so that they can ensure that they're meeting those 15-minute frequencies for service. When it gets real busy, sometimes uh, that 15-minute frequency has been a bit of a challenge. That's probably been one of the one of the uh, lessons learned over the first six months or so of it, but having additional buses should help. And that frequency is a key to success for uh, uh, transit ways like that, correct? Absolutely. And it's 15 minutes throughout the entire day, and then after... Um, 8 p.m., it transitions to 30 minutes until midnight. Gotcha. And the service is currently free, and I believe the St. Pete City Council is poised to make it uh, permanent, permanently free, along with some other discounts for other bus riders in the city uh, by council action in the next week or two. So once it's expanded, you'll be able to go from the pier all the way to the beach and vice versa, right? Absolutely, yes. And do you see uh, this as a model for uh, future uh, transit lines? I, I really do. I think PSTA delivered an excellent uh, outcome with this project. Uh, you know, I think we all went into it not really sure what to expect, and it's been um, a huge success. It, it, it operates in a corridor that had excess capacity. We had three travel lanes in each direction. It used to be four a long time ago. And the lanes are very rarely congested. So today, you've got two lanes in each direction, plus that third lane that the bus uses can be shared by cars turning to reach destinations on Central Avenue. And it functions well. We've seen actually a reduction in traffic fatalities and crashes in the quarter because speeds have moderated. They've slowed down a little bit overall. And, and we've seen very few issues of congestion or traffic delays in the quarter. Now, of course, most people um, don't take uh, buses or transit. They, they drive. And so what is your master plan calling for that uh, motorists in Pinellas County would be interested? And, of course, motorists in, in Hillsborough County, they go over there and they use your roads. Uh, they're going to the beach. They're going to downtown St. Pete. Uh, what other changes are you uh, envisioning here in the next, um, say, 10, 20 years in Pinellas? Well, Pinellas County is still looking at a, at a pretty balanced transportation investment future which means we are investing in some roads. We don't have a lot of roads to widen, but uh, the US-19 corridor has currently a project underway to build additional interchanges going north through the uh, Dunedin-Palm Harbor area. $240 million, so $44 million for the Sunrunner bus rapid transit seems small in comparison. But that would build an interchange at Curley Road. Uh, it would have some overpasses at Republic Drive, which is the first traffic signal you get to when you're traveling north on US-19. 
So it kind of continues the plan of over the last 30 years of, of making US-19 more of a limited access expressway facility. And then we have the Gateway Expressway, which is a toll road that's opening probably in the beginning of 2024. It should be substantially complete by the end of this year that will connect US-19 and the Bayside Bridge to I-275. And that would allow motorists to avoid a real traffic backup at Ulmerton Road and 49th Street and Roosevelt Boulevard. So provide quicker access to the interstate system. That's long been a goal here in Pinellas County because we think very regionally. And we've got a lot of folks who want to get to and through Tampa. We've got a lot of folks who want to get to our beaches and and to downtown St. Petersburg. So that that's an important consideration for us. Now, we have a question from John Dunn, our, our, our board op, but he's substituting for Janet today as my co-host. So, John? That's right. I'm pinch hitting. Um, one of my thing. I wanted to find out if the plan includes any effort to try to sync traffic lights, which seems to slow everybody down. It does, actually. And Pinellas has, for about 20 years, invested one cent of its local gas tax into the advanced traffic management system or intelligent transportation system it goes by a different name to have adaptive signal um, control technology deployed on most of our major roadways. The county just received about a $5 million grant from the federal government to develop a plan for updating that and expanding that system even further. And it will also include some technologies that will allow for recognition of pedestrians and bicyclists and predictive technology that should reduce crashes and, and improve safety. Is there a time frame for all of that? Well, uh, there are certain quarters that already have this technology in place. We are expanding it to Drew Street, uh, which is an east-west corridor parallel to Gulf Bay, and to the Dunedin Causeway, which takes people out to Honeymoon Island. Those corridors will be expanded in the next couple of years. And then there's also a plan to expand it for US-19 uh, in the near future, although parts of it are already, it already has some of that technology in place. I got you. Uh, First Avenue North and South and St. Pete also seem to be pretty synchronized. They are, that's yeah. right. Yeah, this technology, again, it's already on uh, East Bay, West Bay, and Gulf to Bay. And for the most part, the traffic signals are pretty predictable. Now, does your plan uh, include these ambitious goals as Tampa's new plan does? Um, you know, they're talking about record low daily miles driven and, and zero um, deaths and life-altering injuries, um, commute times that are 15 minutes or less. Um, so how, how does, do, do you, uh, does your plan go into that kind of level of detail where you're, you're literally trying to change people's behavior uh, to reduce traffic fatalities and, and injuries? Absolutely. We have some of those aspirational goals as well. We have a, a Vision Zero traffic death uh, plan. It's called Safe Streets Pinellas. That was adopted in 2020. And we are using design to change behavior. I'm a big believer that if you want to change behavior, you have to change the design of our roadway. So we're using resurfacing projects primarily as an avenue to do that. And uh, an example of that uh, is Drew Street in Clearwater where we have um, funding in place for next year for the Florida Department of Transportation to resurface that, that road and go from a four-lane undivided road to a two-lane divided road with an expanded sidewalk, an eight-foot sidewalk. And um, I'm very optimistic that that will bring one of our most 
uh, unsafe roadways into into a, a better safety situation. Well, that would be great. Yeah, that's um, an example. We're doing that in other places along the county. 34th Street South in St. Petersburg is another one where we're using resurfacing to add mid-block crossings, lower the speed limit, and add a bus and turn lane on 34th Street for, for better transit access. Excellent. Um, by the way, if you're, you're just uh, tuning in, uh, we are talking uh, with Whit Blanton, the head of Forward Pinellas, uh, about uh, the transportation challenges uh, and opportunities uh, facing us in the Tampa Bay area, uh, particularly in Pinellas County. And if you have questions or if you'll have a comment, what do you think of the commute that you're enjoying every day? Uh, call us at 813-239-9663, or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or text us at 813-433-0885. And, and Whit, uh, we already have a question uh, from Christina Costa, who says she is your number one fan in Tampa. Uh, can you explain to the listening public the value of combining land use and transportation policymaking, such as forward Pinellas? has for the last five or so years. How worried are you that a regional MPO will change that? But let's let's start with the first question because I think Pinellas may be unique in Florida regarding transportation and land use planning. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I sure can. Our 13-member uh, governing board that I mentioned earlier or you mentioned uh, is uh, responsible for making countywide land use and countywide transportation decisions. And that I think the beauty of it is really that they get to think through these issues and see the connections with, with the votes they take. And we also condition some of our transportation grants that we award the local governments on them doing the right thing with land use policy. So, for instance, we have a housing compact and an affordable housing action plan that our board has adopted and several local governments have adopted the compact as well. And I look at housing policy and transportation policy as very closely tethered. So why wouldn't we condition some of our transportation grants on whether they're adopting a housing action plan in their local government setting? And even if it's a beach community, they may not be able to provide affordable housing because it's expensive, but they need workers. Um, and so they need an affordable housing strategy in the county. It just gets really untenable expect people to live two or three counties away and commute to a $15 an hour job. The other issue I think that really makes a difference is that we can look at land use policy. Like we just updated our employment and activity center plan and we gave more flexibility to build housing into those employment centers, which is consistent with the new live local act that the Florida legislature passed. So that makes us aware at, a, at an elected official level and at a staff level of where our priorities need to be for transportation, where we're adding density, where we're adding intensity, where we're trying to mix uses. And doing so in an employment area really would drive transportation investment. So would that lead to, for example, uh, apartments being built in what would traditionally be a, a strictly office park setting? Potentially, yes. Like the gateway area near our airport would be an example of that. Uh, we're already seeing a lot of apartments in the U.S. 19 corridor, which used to be a heavily commercial corridor. And that's part of the investment plan or the investment corridor strategy that I talked about earlier is, is getting more of those apartments 
multifamily uses in with commercial uses, not necessarily an industrial park, um, but uh, if there's industrial and employment land there, then sure, that, that could be a candidate for that. Now, one of the big differences between the two counties, between Pinellas and Hillsborough, has been its approach to the new uh, toll lanes that, w, that DOT is building along I-275. Um, Tampa managed to stop some, many of a good stretch of those toll lanes that was going through historic Seminole Heights and Tampa Heights and other older neighborhoods. But Pinellas seems to have embraced this philosophy. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? that approach and why Pinellas embraced it? Sure. We've, we've had a pretty fraught history with toll lanes ourselves in Pinellas County. So I think it's a fairly recent development. But the city of St. Petersburg requested that if FDOT was going to be adding uh, managed toll lanes, which are variable price, they adjust with levels of congestion, to the Howard Franklin Bridge, then it didn't make any sense to the city of St. Petersburg or, or us as the MPO for those lanes to stop as soon as they got on the other side of the bridge to Pinellas County, that it made sense to bring that all the way down to downtown St. Petersburg. So that's the request that we've asked FDOT, and it's currently in design. We don't have the funding in place for that. But we see the value in that um, it, it's, it's probably the only way you can really moderate congestion is to price it. And, and then people make decisions about whether to use those. They'll still be free lanes. They're not really free, but uh, non-tolled lanes. And then there will be the toll lane option. So if you really need to get somewhere, you have that option. I don't think that's very equitable, and that's been a big concern that um, has been expressed in the Tampa-Hillsborough area. So our goal is to eventually get transit operating in those managed toll lanes so that transit riders have the same advantage as the Lexus and Audi drivers uh, might have. So that's being built into the design? It is being built into the design. We don't currently have the funding in place for the operations, but I know that when the Howard Franklin Bridge opens and the managed lanes are in effect on the Howard Franklin Bridge, our transit agency, PSEA, plans to adjust one of its routes and move it from the Gandhi Corridor to the Howard Franklin Corridor so it can go from downtown to the airport. So, and that won't take additional funding, but to get any real frequency or to extend it much beyond the airport would take some additional funding. And we'll cross that bridge when we need to, and we'll make that request. Uh, well, you have mentioned funding a few times, which is always a, a, an important part because, you know, any plan is only as good as it's executed, and it's hard to execute a plan unless you have the money. So how, uh, how underfunded is Pinellas County when it comes to transportation, and I mean transportation widely, you know, uh, roads, sidewalks, uh, transit? Well, the county is running about a billion-dollar backlog in transportation funding needs, and a lot of that is road resurfacing, sidewalk gaps. Last year, the Board of County Commissioners uh, did uh, allocate some uh, millage revenue from the general fund to the Transportation Trust Fund to begin t tackling some of the sidewalk backlogs. Um, backlogs in particular, but it doesn't hide the fact that we're still way behind, particularly on resurfacing needs with the county. In terms of transit, uh, PSTA, like Hart, is underfunded. Uh, it doesn't have as big of a service area to cover as Hart in Hillsborough County does, but PSTA also is facing somewhat of a fiscal cliff 
with the expiration of federal subsidies from the, the COVID uh, pandemic. So PSCA is looking at some budget cuts, and they don't have any more capacity with their millage, which is primarily how they're funded, to, to add operations. So every time we look at a transit service improvement, you got to think, who, who are we going to ask for that service improvement? Do we go to the county? Do we go to the cities? Uh, do we ask FDOT for a, a grant that's going to be for limited time duration? And, you know, ideally, we'll cobble all of that together because you need a local match when you go to the state or the feds for, for any kind of transit funding. So we really just need to make the case for why this is a, a worthwhile project. And that's why I think the investment corridor strategy of redeveloping these commercial corridors and adding affordable housing, it lines us up with so many goals that the state legislature clearly has. Um, it lines us up with goals that our local elected officials have. And I think it makes for an easier ask. If you're just tuning in, uh, we are talking with Whit Blanton, uh, who runs uh, Forward Pinellas, which is the government agency that oversees land use and transportation planning in Pinellas County. Uh, what do you think of the transportation in Pinellas? Do you have any suggestions for WIT? Any ways you can make your commute better? Please call us at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. And what I did want to ask you about the ferry, uh, which seems to be pretty popular, uh, at least... Is it a commuter? It's not really a commuter solution, correct? Or is it something that people are using for fun? Or what, what is your view of the ferry as a transportation solution? I think it's part of the mix of a transportation uh, network that we need. Uh, we have a waterborne transportation committee that's been working for a couple of years to, to elevate that, that mode in our operations countywide, not just across the bay. The cross-bay ferry, I would not say, is a commuter uh, service today. People use it to get to the Lightning Games. They use it for excursions, either in downtown St. Pete or in Tampa. But the travel time, I think, is still too slow for it to really compete with automobile drivers um, trying to get to work. And the frequency, of course, is not, as, not that good. frequency is not there. It's not a year-round service. But yeah. there is a three-year commitment uh, that, that is, is agreed upon by all the local governments. Uh, that are involved, and, and, you know, we want to continue to see the growth. The ridership has continued to climb every year. Um, there's some uncertainty about what happens after that three-year period ends, but I know the city of St. Petersburg has been very enthusiastic with the Cross Bay Ferry and feels it's been a success. Now, one of the challenges of Pinellas has always struck me is it's such a long county. It's a long way to go from uh, South Pinellas all the way up to North Pinellas. Um, what kind of challenges does that present for a transportation planner? For example, transit must be very difficult. Let's, let's have a bus go from Eckerd College up to Tarpon Springs, for example. <laughs> yeah, we're actually talking about a bus that would go from somewhere in middle Pasco County all the way down to our gateway uh, area. And, you know, that would be an express transit, but it would still be a fairly long trip from end to end. Um, you know, I think I go back to how Pinellas County has been developed. And frankly, because of the, the sprawl that happened in the 60s and 70s in Pinellas County, uh, we don't have any vacant land left, and we're a fairly highly developed county, although a lot of the northern part is suburban. But that gives us some real advantages in that um, we have the shortest average commute time of any big county in the state of Florida. So 
people are already kind of clustered together around job, education. That is surprising, I have to say. that I would not have expected that. But I, I guess it's because maybe they realize how difficult it is to live in Tarpon Springs and work in South St. Pete. Yeah, so you're not seeing a lot of people commuting from Tarpon to St. Pete. Um, I mean, it happens. Uh, there are super commuters. But I think we have employment centers that are in the 19 corridor or um, up around downtown Clearwater or in, in the Dunedin area. And so I think a lot of our workforce just doesn't have to travel as far as uh, some other counties do. And uh, another challenge, it seems to me, um, is is that a lot of your it's, – it's a north-south situation. I guess you have a lot of east-west roads, but a lot of your north-south roads seem to be uh, pretty congested. Is that a correct observation there, Whit? Um, you know, I'll, I'll quibble a little bit with that. I think US-19 is a very congested road, particularly when you get beyond the interchanges. Um, so as you go north in the county, and then parallel to that, McMullen Booth Road or East Lake Road, change their names, uh, it gets really congested when you get up into the Trinity area close to the Pasco County line. The county is looking at um, some, some widening and intersection modifications for that road. But beyond that, our north-south um, roads function pretty well. The biggest complaint I hear about traffic is the east-west uh, commute getting from the beach over to the bayside. And some of our quarters, you know, they, that can take you 40 minutes to get before you even get out of the county. Right. And so that frustrates people. Then what about bicycling? There's a lot of talk in Tampa. Mayor Jane Castor is a big fan of uh, trying to make the roads more amenable to bicyclists. Is there a similar focus in Pinellas, or is that mostly St. Pete? Uh, no, I would say there's a similar focus. We, 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 for about three decades, put all our eggs in the Pinellas Trail basket. And the Pinellas Trail has been fabulous, and it'll soon be a 75-mile loop around the entire county. Well, that is a big advantage that you, you guys have over Hills Road, does not have anything close to that. And I guess we have Fred Marquis, the former county administrator, to thank for that vision. We do. We have a lot of people in the 80s to thank for that and uh, good decisions that were made. But now we need to pay attention to the roadways. And we've been doing that over the last several years. And that's where these resurfacing projects come in. Uh, we just opened a two-way cycle track on Bayway South in the Tierra Verde area as you're heading to uh, Fort DeSoto Park. Uh, we've opened um, other types of protected bike facilities in the county, but not nearly enough. And we still have too many roadways that people just do not feel safe, even if there's a bike lane on. So I'm very thankful that the Florida Department of Transportation has changed its standards. So for a 45-mile-an-hour road, you need a 7-foot bike lane, and they need to be protected. They need to be buffered. So uh, we are working with FDOT to make that happen where it makes sense. And... Uh, and, you know, some people will still never use those roads on Olmerton Road, ride the bike on an Olmerton Road. Yeah, I can't imagine it. <laughs> but, I really can't. But there are people who do it, and yeah. they need to be safe, and we shouldn't just cater to, to people who are out there for a recreational spin. Uh, we need to look at people who have the grocery bags hanging on both handlebars and try to make their lives safer as well. Okay, Whit, we have uh, another guest we want to bring into the conversation, uh, Henry Queen. Mm -hmm is a, uh, a planning and, and uh, transportation reporter for the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Henry, are you there? Yeah. Uh, you can hear me? I can hear you. Can you? Okay. And, and I've got Whit Blanton on the line as well. We're talking transportation. And 
Henry, as far as I know, you just came from a press conference that the mayor of Tampa, Jane Castor, had to talk about her new transportation plan. So can you give us a quick summary of what you heard? Yes, yeah, so it was the Tampa Moves plan. Uh, it was about 100-plus uh, pages, and they just kind of laid out the, the key ingredients uh, in order to get the city of Tampa, you know, uh, moving, uh, as they say, uh, as in the name. Uh, it laid out some ambitious goals, uh, 50% of people uh, walking, biking, or taking transit uh, to their destinations by 2050. Meanwhile, uh, right now, it's about 5%. So uh, it, um, there are some lofty goals. I don't know uh, necessarily the concrete steps to get there. Um, but uh, and then funding is, of course, the oft-repeated issue. And, and that was uh, that was uh, kind of emphasized today as well. Like, well, <laughs> these are some plans, but they need uh, they need funding. They need money. And is there a plan for that? Well, I asked about uh, you know, will there be any general revenue requests? Because uh, right now, their mobility department, which is uh, in charge of repaving roads. Uh, adding cycling infrastructure, um, and then, you know, maybe adding sidewalks uh, to city-owned streets in the city of Tampa. Uh, it, it's tied to stagnant gas tax revenues. Uh, so, you know, those, even though gas prices may be going up, uh, there's also a lot of electrical vehicles on the roads nowadays. And uh, just in general, the, the gas tax revenue is not a, a robust uh, thing that the city can rely on. Um, and so, you know, the mayor said they're looking at options like that. There's, you know, multimodal impact fees for developers, perhaps. Uh, and then, of course, they're trying to go after federal grants, which they've been successful at, uh, relatively and uh, in trying to leverage those as best as possible. Plus, you know, there's office transportation, which, as you all in the experience now, has had a fraught history. But um, Yeah, though, so that that's a tax for those who don't remember that was passed by voters a few years ago and then was... Uh, rejected by the Florida Supreme Court, and then another version of it was put on the ballot by the county commission last year, and that time it failed, and so there's about, what, $500 or million or so sitting in a bank account somewhere uh, waiting uh, for the legislature to decide what to do with that money. Um, did, did that come up? Is the mayor still pushing for us to use that money? Uh, that specific pot of money did not come up. Uh, it's still waiting, as you mentioned. The legislature didn't make a decision on that this, this session. Uh, which is interesting, but um, she didn't mention that, you know, particular part of money. But, uh, you know, I think the, the administration would love to see a um, robust, you know, kind of uh, constant transportation uh, income. Because they, they laid out the price tag for kind of the, the whole entire plan, which would be, of course, uh, over many years, in, in fact, decades, I think uh, 30 years. And they said this would have a $2 billion price tag. And in order to spend that, I mean, there's just no way <laughs> right now. Yeah, to, to, and that's just in the city limits of Tampa. That doesn't even count all the money that would have to be uh, spent to improve transportation in the unincorporated area of Hillsborough. Oh, yeah, and, and that and, and, the, and the need money in order to maintain those roads out in the unincorporated area, you know, I can't even imagine that the, the price tag is probably even as much higher because of uh, this kind of sprawling nature of that. Um, Within the city of Tampa, they're trying to build 32 miles of improvement for bike uh, bicyclists, so, like, there'd be... 11 miles of separated or protected bike lanes, um, which they said would about quadruple uh, the current number. Um, so, you know, they're, they're looking at kind of short-term options to get uh, a few things uh, done and, and kind of put on the road. They call them quick-build uh, options. I'm sure you've seen maybe driving in downtown Tampa. There's there's a, a separated bike lane uh, on Cass Street, um, which they were able to kind of implement quickly. 
If you're just joining us, we are talking transportation with a couple of experts uh, who, who are on the line, uh, Whit Blanton from Pinellas Forward and Henry Queen from the Tampa Bay Business Journal, who just uh, came from a press conference uh, where the mayor was announcing her new ambitious mobility plan. If you have questions for us or our guests, please call us at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. We do have a couple of callers waiting, so I wanted to move to John in uh, Pinellas County. John, are you there? This is John. What do you, what's on your mind, John? Well, I've been uh, down here since 1980. I moved down here to go to USF. My sister was going to Hecker College. And uh, I have to say, I love the Pinellas Trail. It's three blocks from my house where I live in Dunedin now, but I used to live by the Skyway. And I only got hit six times by cars before they started putting trails in and stuff. So um, people got to realize bikes are a vehicle. We are entitled to a whole lane, especially when we're making a left turn. And uh, I, I enjoy your, uh, your guest. Uh, encourage more bike safety, more bike lanes. Uh, I noticed people ride on the sidewalks up there, and there's a bike lane that's marked. And uh, sidewalks are good for pedestrians. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to say that, and I, uh, I appreciate your guests. I appreciate your show, and I love WMNF. Okay, thanks. on your radio dial. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate the call. We have another call from DeAndre in Thanota Sassa. Um, DeAndre, are you there? What's on your mind? Yes, hello. Um, thank you for taking my call. I was curious to find out if they determined that online classrooms might be something of a solution during the school year at all. Well, there are a lot of students who are, you know, on, at the bus stop. Um, there are fewer buses, you know, some years, and uh, it's been happening a, a lot more lately, but there's still, you know, a growing number of children needing to get to school, whether on foot or otherwise. Uh, so uh, it, after the pandemic, it occurred to me that with some training uh, of parents who are capable, you know, who are, you know, maybe able with whatever means, maybe uh, those uh, uh, parents can uh, 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 facilitate their children's education at home. And uh, so you have fewer kids out trying to, you know, make it through to the classroom. And then by that, less uh, traffic, less need for bus drivers. What do you guys think of that? Uh, what do you think of DeAndre's idea? I mean, we kind of went through this a little bit during the pandemic, right? Some of the schools were closed and there was a lot of uh, uh, at-home teaching going on. There were a lot of people working from home and we did see uh, less cars on the road, fewer buses. But is this a permanent solution? Uh, what do you think, Whit? Um, yeah, I'll try and answer that. It's been a, there's been a discussion about that. We certainly have had uh, fewer bus drivers, and Pinellas County Schools has had difficulty sometimes making the bus schedules work uh, because of that. So, you know, it's a good thought. I think from an educator standpoint, what I've heard and what, what I've read has been that, um, you know, the in-person education is far superior to online education, and it's just much more of a challenge. So I think it's a... Uh, it's a hurdle that uh, at least Pinellas schools are willing to, to deal with and, and work to do a better job recruiting the bus drivers. Right. But, but I understand the point. And, and frankly, you know, from the pandemic, it's taught us pretty well that uh, we can work from home. We can 
allow employees to have that flexibility, and that has made tra- traveling a little bit easier on our roadways. Yeah, certainly like Monday morning. Yep. Okay. Thanks so much for that call, DeAndre. Um, I was curious. Um, uh, what uh, what other cities you looked at or other counties you looked at and also Henry if if the mayor talked at all today about uh, if there are cities that they are looking at as examples that we should be striving to be like would I know you got to go really soon so if you could go ahead and tackle that one yeah I'll, I'll give a couple of examples um, I spent 27 years in Orlando and I think Orlando has done some really good things um, in downtown Orlando and with they have the the sun rail. It's not everything we hoped it would be, but at least it works during the week. And as soon as they figure out how to pay for it, uh, it should have some expanded service. So Orlando's done some good things. They also think regionally in Orlando and have a three-county metropolitan planning organization, so that's somewhat of a model. The other example is Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina has built a light rail system. They've built bus rapid transit. And they have a very vibrant, walkable city, for the most part, with expanded bike facilities. Those are two in the southeast that I would look at. Uh, A lot of good examples out west, but there's a very different culture out west, too. Although any of us who drive through Orlando uh, probably might (laughs) wonder about the traffic we see on I-4, but you're... But there yeah, are there are park, and I yeah. tried to stay off of ice. I was going to say there's more to Orlando than what you see <laughs> along the interstate, right, Whit? That's right, Tom. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to drop off. I appreciate the time you gave us, Whit. That was very informative. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, Henry. You can stay stick with us for a little bit. Yep. Um, so I was wondering if um, anyone asked the mayor about the current uh, situation in the mobility department. Um, you have reported on some of the turmoil going on there. They've lost four. Uh, staffers recently, I think all women, at least one of them or maybe all of them, were complaining about a hostile work environment. Did that come up at the press conference? Yes, uh, it might beat me too, is the question. But yeah, uh, you know, asking if, if is there an investigation that's going to happen because uh, one person has filed a, a complaint with the city just regard, uh, you know, alleging a hostile work environment um, and also filed a complaint um, uh, with the Fed and the state. Um, and so I, I, I'm not completely aware if that requires an investigation, uh, you know led by city's attorneys or anything, but um, that question was asked, and uh, she said that uh, the mayor, um, that they'll be looking at options, and then, this, and like, you know, turnover is uh, something that, you know, they don't like to see, but inevitable, or, you know, stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not quoting the exact uh, words here, but, um, uh, so, yeah, that, that question was asked, and, uh, you know, these were top-level employees, and um, they were they were doing the work that, that led to this plan. This plan, uh, uh, engage, you know, engage the community from April 2020 on. The pandemic kind of disrupted uh, a few of the, you know, engagement efforts, but they uh, continued on through October 2022 when they started finalizing this type of stuff. And uh, the person who's alleging a hostile work environment, um, she uh, was, was let go uh, just <laughs> a few, uh, you know, weeks or days prior to this plan being uh, put out. And then she and others had a lot to do with, uh, with this plan. With creating so, the plan, yeah. Yeah. But now comes the hard part of executing the plan, and uh, as we already discussed, uh, money is something that they're going to need. Uh, and we had talked uh, with Witt before you got on the air about the Pinellas Suncoast uh, Transit Authority. Now, you also cover uh, the Hillsborough Area Regional Transit mm-hmm. Authority, um, and it seems like this the last two or three years has been nothing but turmoil with Hart. What, and, and you have a recent story about um, a new report about uh, changes in the way the heart should be structured. Can you talk about that and, and 
if the mayor had any thoughts about that today? Sure. Well, the mobility department doesn't have anything uh, to do with transit, other than they can try to uh, work with the, uh, you know, the, the, the transit team and you know maybe fund things for CRAs. Uh, but uh, the transit wasn't necessarily a part of the discussion today. But Hart, uh, which the mayor Castor used to be on the board, but no longer is. Um, they have an interim CEO after you know maybe six CEOs in the past what four years something like that. Uh, I can I'll nail down the exact numbers. It's hard to keep track there. of them all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that includes interim CEOs. So, you know, there's, there's the permanent ones and there's the interim, interim, which usually lasts for a while. And I have uh, every uh, right, to, I, mean, I think it's fair to say that this one is going, also going to last a while because I have yet to see a timeline uh, to, to acquire a permanent CEO. And we'll see if anyone would even want a job uh, from out of, out of town. Uh, what I've heard is that Scott's doing a good job, uh, but we'll, we'll see about that. So the organizational structure um there were concerns about you know is there a good conduit of information between employees and the board uh, itself um the board would receive every now and again some complaints via email during the previous tenure of uh, the previous ceo um but they disregarded them they, they said oh, okay well uh we don't necessarily believe these complaints uh you know so well, they so the board didn't know about it yes they, again, uh, they wouldn't know about it and uh, okay yeah, and so yeah, they they would uh, they they might hear complaints every now and again, but we're just going to think they're substantial or meaningful. And so somebody needs to be a, a conduit of information between the uh, besides the CEO, because so they were only getting their information from the CEO, and the CEO would only want to share good news. Um, and so there needs to be something, be uh, you know, a, a person, a lawyer, or something like that to uh, to to help out and and bring forth meaningful uh, complaints to the board. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if the mayor uh, was asked or she talked about the uh, plan uh, that the county was considering to uh, use a ferry to uh, have uh, commuters go from roughly, you know, South Hillsborough, Riverview area over to McDill Air Force Base. And now the county is, it looks like the county is going to kill that plan. Did that come up today? It did not. Um, it was, I, I noticed it was mentioned, not necessarily that plan, but the ferry itself was mentioned in the moves plan just as, a, as a, an example of, you know, an alternative option that uh, this community has invested in in the past, because um, the current one obviously uh, operates seasonally between downtown St. Pete and downtown uh, Tampa. Um, but this other plan, you know, that would be more of a commuter service uh, to help the folks out living near Apollo Beach and Brandon um, to, 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 to take a ferry, uh, would be a relatively short ferry ride uh, to McDill. Um, that was not brought up today, but uh, that's not really something that the city would have a funding interest over when they can't even really repave their roads uh, once every uh, hundred years. So, yeah, uh, and there are other uh, priorities at least for the city itself. Well, that last statistic you just mentioned—I mean, uh, that, that is, is that just something somebody says, or that's really true that they don't have enough money to repave the roads except once every hundred years? It, it, it's something around there. Uh, yeah, have a photo. Uh, there might be one I can say. I can tell you that. 37% of Tampa roads are either poor, very poor, serious, or failed. Um, and then the cost to uh, fix those once it gets to that point is exponentially higher. Um, and they only have one repaver. The equipment that they have to repave a road, they only have one of them. Um, so, uh, you know, ideally they would have at least two uh, teams to be doing that. Uh, the number, I don't have the screenshot on me, but it's usually what I've heard is once every 100 years or maybe once every, like, 75 Uh so uh, it, it's not that your neighborhood street is not getting repaved anytime soon. Or if it has gotten repaved, it's going to take many decades to do it again. 
Hi, Henry. Quick question. That 37% you mentioned, mm-hmm. does that include uh, county and state roads that run through the city or just city streets themselves? That's city streets. Um, the county streets, obviously, I think the city has expressed interest, at least with the current mayor and not the previous one. Uh, mayor Castro has expressed interest in, in acquiring some major county roads, where, which is obviously where a lot of these crashes occur. Um because they're, they're big arterials where, uh, you know, lots of traffic are moving through and people are trying to cross the street. Um, but they don't have the funding for that. So, uh, you know, they can try all they want. But first, the county is going to need to maintain them and put them in, in better condition, and then the city would like to take it over. Uh, and the county itself, you know, I don't, they don't really have the funding either. Uh, at least they, they say they don't. So, uh, yeah, they've expressed interest in that, but um, the, the, that number is purely for the city. One of the things we were talking about uh, with Whit Blanton before you got on the line was uh, the fact that his agency actually uh, oversees land use planning as well as transportation planning. And, you know, they kind of work together and transportation often drives uh, planning, land development. Is it, it, Does the city's mobility plan that they just released, does it contemplate the similar kind of thing? Because if you want transit... You know, you're going to have to have some density somewhere. How, do, how does it work? How does that work within the city of Tampa? Yeah, absolutely. I think the plan does say, okay, the first thing we'll look at when we're implementing a transportation strategy or project will be land use. So, you know, looking at the existing land use and then figure out what to do from there. I, I would say that they don't have necessarily tools in their toolkit to to get to where they want to go because land use is such a big deal and maybe the existing nature things uh, will, will, will prevent some of the progress they want to see. Like, for instance, I mentioned at the top how many uh, uh, people that, or the percentage of trips they want to see done by walking, biking, or, or transit. Um, I'd say that that goal is relatively un- unrealistic uh, considering uh, kind of the land use that's in place now. And the mobility department does not have, uh, like you said, they don't have the power over, over that land use planning. So, um, But the city, you know, has some power itself and other departments, but I think uh, the, the, the problem they have is there's so much that they have to catch up with. For example, sidewalks. I don't know if they cited any statistics regarding the lack of sidewalks in Tampa, but I mm-hmm. think maybe it's half. High. It's, <laughs> it's high. It's high. It's like 1,300 miles of gap, which includes like neighborhood streets. But, uh, so, yeah, 1,300 miles. That's a lot of sidewalk to build. It is. And, that, you know, that'd be an ideal goal to get every single road with a sidewalk, I think, on both sides. So maybe you don't need all of it. But I think there's 500 miles of priority uh sidewalks they would like to build um but they it can only build maybe like one mile of sidewalk per year because uh, it's a pretty expensive endeavor and they don't have the money <laughs> and apparently there's no plan to get the money either i i keep hearing rumors that there that maybe people are just fantasizing about the possibility of having a, a referendum to increase the property tax property taxes to pay for transportation improvements have you heard anything about that I think it might have been mentioned, I don't know about transportation itself, but like just the idea to raise property taxes was, was I think, brought up recently at a city council meeting uh, last week, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, I think uh, there are, are options that are on the table, whether it be that or, like I said, maybe, you know, the higher impact fees or, or uh, anything to go beyond just the stagnant gas taxes. If, if this is this big of a priority, um, if the community wants, see their roads repaved and uh, maybe a sidewalk built in front of their home, um, then maybe property taxes are going to have to be raised. But I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't gotcha. really speak 
Right. I think uh, uh, my uh, companion, John Dunn, has a question for you. Yeah, I just wanted to find out if the, the plan included any improvements for bike lane safety. Because yeah. apparently those uh, little cones don't really give anybody any sense of well, security. The, and the white stripes on the roads, I mean, it, it does, it's a key to, to drivers, but it, they're, I don't feel particularly safe when I'm in them. Right. Yeah. I mean, they said they were going to want to build 11 miles of separated or protected bike lane. And, you know, I don't know if separated may be one of those things that y'all are mentioning where uh, you, you don't feel as safe as, as in an ideal situation. Um, but protected, hopefully, would be fully protected with the concrete. Uh, the green spine has been, like I said, extended across the Caffrey Bridge, but it's with those with those cones. I, I feel like it makes a for a safe environment there. You know, they're, they're kind of tall and they've. I think they've done a good job of separating it out. So I think maybe hopefully anything's better than nothing. Uh, but, uh, you know, the safety of, of bicycles and pedestrians is, is clearly not good here. And there's some, you know, there's things that need to be done. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that happens when you add a bike lane, even if you're just painting a stripe on the, the road, is you're narrowing the uh, space devoted to cars. And that tends to slow the cars down a little bit. I know Tampa has a plan to add bike lanes on one street, El Prado, that will go basically from from the Bay to the Bay in South Tampa. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, that, that again, is going to be a striping thing. So it's fairly inexpensive to add those lanes because you don't have to build new infrastructure. Yes, uh, that, that would be a good strategy. I think all of South Tampa could use, you know, uh, some of that type of stuff. North-South, I know, you know, Bayshore Boulevard uh, is, is good, but there, there are... There are I think there are um, ways to improve. We only have a few more minutes left, and we are talking to Henry Queen of the Tampa Bay Business Journal about transportation. If you have uh, questions, uh, please call us at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Was was there anything... Well, it looks like we have a call from Patricia in Wesley Chapel, so... Patricia, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Are you there, Patricia? She's not, so I'll go back to you. Is there anything else that came up during the press conference that we have not covered yet? Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, mostly, you know, kind of reiterating uh, just how much uh, the city residents pay for transportation and... Um, and which is uh, a big portion of their household budget. Um, and they would like to see that by 2050 be reduced from 22% to 5%, which would mean uh, a lot lower gas bills, I suppose, or maybe you're driving an electric vehicle or rebiking everywhere, but uh, that's an ambitious goal. And so we yeah. can see if that will be done. Uh, anything you mentioned, you know, cities that they're, you know, other maybe St. Pete or Pinellas is aspiring to, I'd say, in Tampa, this plan mentioned uh, Austin, Charlotte, Orlando, and Richmond, uh-huh. that was all of them. There might have been one more, but uh, Richmond is an interesting case study. Uh, maybe a little bit smaller than a Charlotte, and um, and they at least comparing to St. Pete, they they have a, a similar to the Sunrunner. You know, they have a bus rapid transit system uh, there. So gotcha. those are just interesting case studies. Okay, I'm going to try Patricia again. I think she's uh, now ready to. You have a question for us, Patricia, in Wesley Chapel? I just have a comment to okay. make, and I'm somewhat baffled. We don't have monies to put sidewalks on the streets in Tampa, 
but we have money to fly migrants from Texas to Martha Vineyard. And to me, that's baffling to me. Okay, I appreciate that. It's just a comment. That's a good one. Thanks, Patricia. Appreciate Mm -hmm. that. That is an interesting question there. I know it's uh, certainly outside your purview, though, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to... Because, you know, you have all these sources of money, and you might say the same thing about the city's plan to tear down the Ashley Drive entrance ramp to I-275. Mm-hmm. But that money is only available for that type of project. They can't take that money and say, oh, well, we're going to build sidewalks instead. So the funding mechanisms that we have are often tie the hands of elected officials, I guess. Of course, it doesn't help when the governor turns down federal funds that could be used for transportation. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, because he did turn down some federal funding for electric vehicle charging stations of more than $300 million, did did the city talk about adding any more of those? Uh, They didn't talk about it today, um, but I think that that they would like to see that. Uh, There are gaps. um, Yeah. You know, uh, maybe... Especially in the central city, as an electric vehicle uh, uh, owner, I can tell you there's a lot of gaps in the city of Tampa. We have one more car. We've only got a couple couple minutes, maybe one more minute left. Uh, we have Robert on the air. Uh, what do you say, Robert? Uh, yes, hi, am I on? You are. Oh, uh, yeah, I just had a question. Uh, privatizing the transportation business, it just seems to me that when you leave it in the hands of government, it always seems to be a mess. They procrastinate. Things are very slow. And uh, I think maybe uh, just privatizing the transportation business would really get the ball rolling and get a lot of these issues that you guys have mentioned uh, these past few minutes uh, maybe improved. Um, what do you guys think about that? I'm going to let him answer that question with you off the air. Okay, uh, Robert? Uh, Thanks. Uh, uh, yeah, also, go ahead. Uh, I had another question. Brightline, what do you guys think about that connection between Miami, Orlando, Orlando, Tampa, Tampa, Miami? If maybe you guys could talk about that real quick. Okay, thanks very much, Robert. Uh, What do you think, Henry? I guess I'll do the Brightline first. I mean, Brightline would be transformative uh, if it ever occurred, and uh, they want to do Tampa Net. So that is the goal uh, right now. Let's let's see how the revenue uh, comes in with the Orlando line. Um, I think it will be very exciting, and I don't know if there will be any uh, takers here in Tampa, maybe to try it out, drive over to Orlando on the dreaded I four, yeah, so. or uh, or um, you know maybe take an Amtrak right. to there, and then and then a uh, bright line. But, but as far uh, as privatization, that is an example. That is a private company, exactly, so, yeah. exactly, and that is the perfect example of yep. something that, that that a private company hopefully can do well, and they 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 develop the real estate around the stations, and they it can make it profitable, hopefully, and. Uh, I mean, that yeah. work. But, you know, and just for historical problem. context, the reason we have a government-owned bus company in Tampa and not a private company is the private company went under and the government had to take over. And with that, we are just about out of time. I want to thank uh, Whip Blanton for joining us earlier, and I want to thank Henry Queen from the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Make sure you pick up a copy of the paper or read them online. Thanks, Henry. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. We, this is WMNF Tampa. We will see you next week on Wavemakers. Stay tuned for Alternative Radio.